Well, good morning, Grace, and Happy New Year. <laughs> 2022 is here, and clearly I'm not because I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt, and you, you're wearing a parka. Well, it wasn't like we had planned, but this is what we're going to do. This, I want us to look at today, I want us to look at, as we're starting the year over, I want us to start, like, everything over again. We'll call the whole series Reboot. Let's just take a breath, a big, long, maybe two-year breath to recover from maybe some things that we have done or influences in our life. And I want, us, I want us to spend time in this series applying just two sentences from a doctrine-heavy book of the Bible called Romans. This is what re- reboot means. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, Therefore I urge you, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and a holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And look, this is what we're going to look at today. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this world. What is this world? (laughs) That's what we're going to look at. You know, how did we get here? That's the outline of the whole series. How did we get here And how do we get out of here? (laughs) How did we get into this world? How do we get conformed to this? What is this world? In a word, it's divided. It's divided. We have a divided nation. We have divided families. We have a, a split and fracture lines in major churches around the country. You... You can't, you can't even have free speech in major, in some significant universities, particularly UC Berkeley. Some of you are alumnus from UC Berkeley. And when some people go there to speak, they burn a lot of the buildings down. It's not, it's like times I've never seen in a while because it's, well, it's different. It's the same, but it's different. Under it all, all of the division that we have is this seething anger and, and like a destabilizing fear that is throughout the culture. That is this world, fear and anger. Now, our country's been here before. I mean, before the Civil War, we were divided. It ended up with a war. <laughs> but, but there was anger and there was fear. And then in the 60s and the 70s, I was alive to watch it on TV. We had two brothers, the Kennedys, shot, assassinated, right in front of our very eyes. And and then Dr. Martin Luther King, a pacifist pastor, just wanting to peacefully renegotiate the the racial tension that's in our culture and the way we treat one another because of the colors of our skin. And that man was killed. Again, cities were burning. And at least then, everyone was was in agreement that rioting was bad. But even then, again, there's that common denominator of a divided country filled with anger and fear. So how did we get this divided? How did this much anger and fear come into our lives? Why did it happen? How did it happen? It's, it's different this time. That's what I wanna spend our time this morning learning about. It's been, it, it, while it's the same thing as some other times in history, it's different this time. They're using the same hopes in fear and hate, but they're using different tactics. It all started 
with, well, the technology explosion and particularly how to monetize technology when it became, when it, when it became a resource of, of income and money. Like, how do we get people to go to particular websites? It's the addictive nature of clicking. The division today is built upon the platform of addiction. The division today that we have is built upon the platform that's for gambling and for gaming and for social media. What happened was the rest of the gang got involved in that as well, particularly journalism. In other words, what keeps the lights so bright in the middle of the night of the Nevada desert, Las Vegas, how come the house always wins? Because the addictive nature of gambling was used to motivate us to be in division, us against them, using hate or fear. That's what happened. And so one of the things I want us to do is I want us to, for part of our homework, I want us to watch the movie Social Dilemma. Social Dilemma. You can watch that on Netflix. Find a friend that has that subscription. Watch that. That'll explain how clicking becomes addictive. And, and the, when, you, when you start realizing that those click, that, that series, Social Dilemma, dilemma itself, excuse me, is an interesting documentary because the, the engineers, the men and women that invented the issue we're talking about today are coming like Dr. Frankenstein's confessing that they created a monster that's, got, that's turned loose on the culture. But when one of the persons begins, he goes, I invented the like button and I'm, I'm sorry for what it's done to the souls of the people. It's interesting. It's enlightening, but it's at the same time scary. It all changed in 2011. It all changed in 2011 when the business model of the news media saw what was going on in these other means of addiction and said, let's get in on that. Okay, what, what was addictive for vanity clicks in social media or, or, or some kind of winning a video game, I've never won anything in a video game, but there's a, there's this little, there's a little buzz when you get that, that addictive nature what keeps people sitting in front of slot machines and pulling that arm down, that means of addiction, the newspapers and media said, we're going to start doing that. I'm in. Like Natalie Merchant, an old 10,000 maniacs, part of the band, she said, look, if, if, she said, if fear and lust is your candy, we're going to say it this, if fear and hate is your candy, if blood and anxiety taste so sweet, then give them what they want. Hey, hey. Just give them what they want. She goes on. So their eyes are growing hazy because they're, they're just trying to turn it on. Their minds have grown lazy, soft and lazy. So now we just give them what they want. Hey, and what do they want? We've, we, they want anger and they want fear. And we just clicking, we keep clicking on these things. Here's how it all happened. Prior to 2011, everyone in, involved in some kind of media realized they were losing a lot of money and their influence. They, were, they, they weren't able to keep up with the, with the way things were changing. They were, they were hemorrhaging money, losing all sorts of influence, and they needed to change. And so when 2011 rolls around, what happened was the traditional means of media said, We've got to learn from these other sources. That was the year that the New York Times started uh, 
putting up, they, in, they invented the paywall for their website that you had to pay for the subscription and then they could watch to see what people would be willing to pay for. They were watching to see what you were willing to spend money on, how they could increase their followers' influence and power, how they could increase their revenues. And so for the sake of headline change, they, they, would, they would manipulate headlines and they would see which one got more money, which one got more followers. They were using slot machine ethics instead of journalistic practices. They watched it for a while and it worked. It worked fabulously. And one of the things that they found was if they could, if they could use more divisive language in selective words, they would get more clicks, more followers, more traction, more money, more power. An interesting study was done by uh, a computer scientist watching all of that happen. Okay, and this is the name of the article. It's, uh, I'll wear you down with words here. The prevalence of prejudice denoting words in the news media discourse, a chronological analysis. The article is about as friendly as the title. But what this man does is he looks at uh, headlines and news stories from 1970 to 2019. Listen, listen to his, his sample size, 40, 27 million different articles. 47 different, uh, the top nation's media sources, and looks at those over a period of time, and he says, how has vocabulary changed in these four areas? Ethnicity, gender, uh, sexual, you know, gender uh, or sexuality, and then religion. What words were being used, and how were they changed, and what difference does it make? In other words, what sells? 2010, a headline would read, Man kills woman. That didn't get much traction, not much money. By 2014, it says, white man kills black woman in what we believe was an act of racism or sexism. Now it just says, a white supremacist murdered a black woman in a rage of rampage. When the real story is that it was a mixed race couple and it was classic domestic violence that got out of hand. But those other, that story, that doesn't sell. That doesn't click. And so the New York Times made a decision. We're going to set up this paywall and we're going to choose clicks over truth. And this was five years before anyone knew Donald Trump was ever going to be president. And let me just give you some statistics of, of word use and change. From 2010 to 2019, the word racist, that word, was, it went up being used 600%. All the other news agencies jumped on board. They saw what was happening. Wall Street Journal jumped in. Islamophobia went up 680% in that period of time. White supremacy or white supremacists went up 5,931% in just those few years from from 2010 to 2019. Now, it's very important for you to understand, this is pre-Donald Trump, and he was a big log on this fire, I admit that, and it was independent, they looked at, and it was independent of things that were taking place in fact time in areas of race and gender and sexuality and religion. The increase didn't represent what was really happening. It was made up for financial gain. They made a financial decision for divisive vocabulary. 
clicks over accuracy it, because it made more money and got more influence, more followers. It was slot machine ethics and it ravaged journalism. And that's the world we've been living in for 10 years. Like, here's the proof. This is, this is from the movie Social Dilemma. One person says, we found out that fake news traveled six times faster than true news. So what do you do? You start sending out fake news because it travels six times faster. Here's another proof. Men and women in the media, like the, the hosts, the journalists themselves, the expert witnesses that came on their shows, uh, uh, the politicians themselves, many of them heard testimony like under oath of what was factually true. But when they went on their shows, they lied about what happened and what will happen in the future. Oh, it's going to come out soon. And so what happens when you lie once, twice, repeatedly over months, over years? <laughs> These people weren't fired. They were given awards. Some were significantly promoted. Why? Because it made them money. It got them more influence. They were rewarded. They already made the decision between, what we, between truth and, and clickbait. And so they were, they were rewarded according to the decision they made ahead of time. So one of our applications, by the way, is just a fast. Fast means stop doing. Let's do 40 days as a church. 40 days of like news input where we're getting it from, that sort of thing. Let's just kind of, kind of put, our head, put our head down a little bit and just like, let's just take a break. In light of now that we know that they're doing that and they've made it in a way that's addictive, why don't we just change a little bit? Why don't we ch change our lifestyles so that we're not getting information using those methods? How does this new method d divide us? That I'm kind of changing subjects mildly. How does it, it's a new, it's a new delivery system but it's an old model. How does division happen in our lives? And how has it been so effective? It's addictive. But, but I wanna answer the question, how to divide? How do you divide a country? How do you get so divided? Here's like, in, the, point, the point is, these are old methods. They've, we've been doing this for, well, millennia. This is the way you take over a country. One, violation of words. Violation of words. You change words, you change a culture. Uh, you, <laughs> you can go all the way back to, and the idea of concept creep, I'll explain that in just a moment, but uh, you know, whether it's Brave New World or Manifest Destiny in our country or the ultimate solution in Nazi Germany, we're gonna change what words mean so that the culture will change and do what we want them to do. In a very interesting article, uh, how it happened most recently is called Concept Creep. Here's the title of the article, Concept Creep, Psychology's Expanding Concepts of Harm and Pathology. It's by this doctor in Australia. And the misuse of language kind of happened rather innocently at the beginning because people in the mental health organization started realizing that the terms that they were using, like let's just say trauma, the word trauma was too narrowly defined. And when people talked about PTSD, post-traumatic trauma, post-traumatic stress syndrome, and that was usually attached to someone that had been in some usually, usually combat conflict, life and death situations. 
What they saw was that someone that was having panic attacks that had never seen combat, that they just had to give a big speech one day and they had a panic attack. And from that point on, they were having panic attacks about that first panic attack. And they saw that there was similarity and overlap between PTSD in combat, real combat, and the trauma of getting, for example, this public speaking thing. And they saw so much overlap, they said, you know, maybe we should start using the word trauma and PTSD in more than just military uh, applications. But, and, and, and there were other words like abuse and addiction and, and toxic that needed broadening of their definition. The problem was, once they let that genie out of the bottle, they couldn't put it back in. And the, the, the expansion of these vocabulary words that are primarily emotional centered or psychological in nature, they started being applied where probably they shouldn't have had. Someone would say, that job review that I just had, that traumatized me. I don't think I could go back into the boss's office again. I think I'm suffering from PTSD every time I walk by that door, really. If I remember right, he said, she said, you got eight things that you did great this year and two things they just want to work on. And you're calling that PTSD? We actually have to add a prefix now. We say micro. I was micro offended. I was micro traumatized. That's one example of uh, violations of words. But we've had this for over 10 years where words have changed their meaning. I mean, 10 years ago, the word abuse doesn't mean what it means now. We're, de- we're identifying what, what a person, a victim <laughs> isn't what it used to be. And we're claiming a certain person is a hero. We didn't call that person a hero five years ago, 10 years ago. A person who experiences violence used to mean they had some kind of scar to show from it. Not so much now. And phobic, wow, that word's getting a lot of work these days. But you know what? We don't have to think about it because if fear and hate is our candy, if if, if, if blood and anxiety taste so sweet, then give them what they want. Hey, just give them what, they're, what they want. And that's what they've been feeding us. We've been buying into it. The second way you divide a country, divide a people, divide a, a household, divide a church is violation of logic. And this is like the absence or ignoring or what's called logical fallacies. And I'd love for everybody to go just like, there's a great Chesterton quote, <laughs> listen to this, about logical fallacies. There's, there's a kind of thought that stops thought. And this is the only kind of thought that should be stopped. That's what logical fallacies do. They just stop thinking. And that needs to stop. You, I want everybody to like Google search just the phrase, the top 10 logical fallacies. Some of them have been renamed so they're easier to understand. And then as a family, you can like, I don't know, reward someone when they see somebody committing illogical fallacies, high five, and <laughs> in my family background. And if you did a logical fallacy, you kind of got thumped on the head. So you won't be doing that in the future. What I'd like to show you is that the way we've been divided over the last several years is this violation of logic. And I'd like to just and inserting, causing us to have anger and fear towards one another. I just want to go over five of them, not top 10. I'm going to quickly do five, kind of actually maybe pull some stuff out from what you might have already heard. Here's one. The first one's called straw man fallacy. That's when you like misrepresent a person's particular view so that it's easily defeated. Sometimes like at churches, 
uh, this happens, like at Grace sometimes, someone, someone will say, you guys hate divorcees. You hate divorced people. I'm like, wait, wait a minute. I, that's, that's not even our value. I mean, you're going you're gonna to tear that down, but that's not, I'm not, I don't hold that view. That's a straw man. I mean, look, we, we hate divorce. <laughs> I mean, the Bible says God hates divorce. Have you interviewed divorcees? A lot of them hate divorce. There's a lot of pain and suffering in divorce. Who wouldn't want, want to hate something that's full of pain and suffering? And, and when the fact of the matter pulls out that we actually care and try to help restore people that suffer the sorrow of divorce in our ministry called Divorce Care, it's like we're trying to help people. But yeah, we are significantly, on the other side of this, we are significantly dedicated to keeping marriages together. We want to make sure that they will do everything we can do and the couple can do to live a life the way God meant them to in the context of their marriage vows. It doesn't mean we hate divorcees. See, it's a, it's a straw man. But why, why would someone say that in the first place? Because it causes a group of people to say, uh-oh, better be afraid of that type of church. You better, you better hate that type of denomination that's going to hold those sorts of things. We can make money off of that click, out of that little post on a website, Facebook, ad hominem. I love this one because like, there's, like, there's your get out of jail free card. It's name calling. That's all it means. It's a tool for the intellectually weak and the lazy that when they can't counter logical arguments or factual data, when you know you're losing the fight on an intellectual basis, you just name call. Again, politicians these days, some are expert at just name calling. And I got to tell you, if you can get more adjectives involved in name calling, you get triple, double points on that. Maybe you've heard the phrase uh, angry black woman. There you go. How about, how about privileged white male? Bing, 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 bing. You hear the silence? After you call someone that? <laughs> That's not the sound of you like making a point that's going to change your mind. You, this conver- you just ended a conversation probably and maybe even ended a relationship. When you start name-calling, you start dividing. And why would you call someone a name unless you wanted to show some kind of anger towards them or you're afraid in some way? Logical fallacies. Third one, uh, and, and, and there's money to be made. Again, in the context of politics and journalism, there's money to be made. False dichotomy. That's when you make it sound like it's either or, yes or no. There's only two answers, and you have to choose one of the two. And that's all there is to it. Making difficult things simple, and you choose. And then it comes down to this. It's us or them. Just say the word. <laughs> like on an elevator, ivermectin. Ivermectin. Just say that word, and you're going to see this, this polarization of people that say, oh, yeah, you mean like the farm animal horse dewormer that people take for, that humans take for COVID? Or you're going to hear people say, you mean the Nobel Prize winning FDA approved drug that has been taken by billions of people and saved millions of lives because it's an anti parasitic drug? Well, yeah, there's those two views. <laughs> But the real question is, does it work with the COVID virus, right? But no one spends time talking about, does it work with my sickness? It's choose. Is it us or them? What's it going to be? And 
and that's, that's where money is made. It makes money by, by putting a headline out there that makes it sound like if you believe in one view or the other, I don't know, you're, you're with them. You're to be feared. You know. You're to be hated. A, th- a fourth one is equivocation. This happens a lot. Equivocation is when you use a word or a phrase that's not the same but you make it sound like they're the same word. They're, you act like they're synonyms, but they're, sometimes they're a little bit off or they're not even related to each other. And, and by equivocating them, you're making them sound like they're equal. Okay, in our experience in the last two years, we've seen this equivocation. Like facts and science are the same thing. And people interchange the words, facts, science, facts, science, and they're not the same. <laughs> I mean, science is, follow the science? Following science is like chasing a rooster. I mean, it's, you, can't, you can't catch it. It's changing all the time. Science, the definition of science is following facts. It's constantly evolving. It's, 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 it's adapting to what new data we have. I mean, following medicine, for goodness sake. You know, in the old days, they used to use leeches, leeches to suck poisonous blood out of people. <laughs> I think they're doing that again. Anyway, so <laughs> science is supposed to be questioned. It's supposed to have peer reviews. If you have science that can't be questioned, it's not science anymore. Now it's propaganda. Facts are stabilized. They set. They don't change. They are either true or false. Facts, science, equivocation, they're not the same thing. Here's another one. Uh, people are overlapping the meanings of when, some, when someone says, oh, he's an anti-vax mandate person. And then they, and they say, he's an anti-vaxxer. And they make it sound like they're two different or they're one in the same thing. Anybody that's anti-vax is an anti-vax mandate. Anybody's anti-mandate is anti-vax as well. Well, mandate, people that are against the mandate, they're against the, the power overreach of either the government or their employer to tell people what's, what they do with their body. So it's not about the vaccination, it's about the power. The people that are anti-vax, they're like, they're, they're look, their view is they're looking at statistical data where they're seeing that this has the most benefits in their body with COVID at this time, my life at this time. But why would, why would people in, of influence in the media make people that are mandate, against mandates seem like anti-vaxxers and, and make them the same? Because they've already tagged anti-vaxxers as a bunch of stupid hillbillies. And if they can jump and get you as an ma- anti-mandate person in with them, they make it seem like you're the same thing. <laughs> this kind of leads to, uh, well, our last one, hasty generalization fallacy. I just said one, a stupid hillbilly. Anti-vaxxers are stupid hillbillies. Really? The, the word itself, the, the, um, the hasty generalization is just a word for what we would say is prejudice. When you say all, all of those people, and so when I intentionally said all anti-vaxxers, these hasty generals, all anti-vaxxers are stupid hillbillies, I get double points on that. One, I did an ad hominem. I called them a hillbilly, and then I called them stupid. All of them are? Because I know some anti-vaxxers that are medical professionals, and they're brilliant in their field. Because it's a complex issue, and it's an individual one, what is most effective for that person at that time in their, in their bloodstream. But... There's no money in truth. There's no power in truth, but there is power in division using anger and fear. This way we get people saying us and them 
And we need to hate that group or fear that group, that group over there. So let me just like review a little bit. How did we get here? And here is a divided nation. And how did we get here in a divided family and sometimes divided churches? How did we get here? We violate the violation of words and the violation of logic. But wait, there's more. There's much more. When 2011, the New York Times switched over and put up that paywall and they saw the power of the slot machine and they could watch exactly what people clicked on and they were hyper, hyperactive uses of words that were divisive, it wasn't just journalists that got on board with that, but so did politicians and, and part of the academies, the various parts of the academy and, and the media, everybody got on board because they all made a decision. Are they gonna make money and increase their influence or are they going to hold on to truth? And so what you started seeing was, here's the interesting thing. When I was growing up just a few years ago, just 10 years ago, politics, right? There were always two sides to politics, at least two sides, right? There was Democrats and Republicans. There were two sides to the academy, liberal arts. There was two sides to the hard sciences and, and, and the medical fields. They had peer reviews going back and forth. There were two sides to the media. There were liberals and conservatives in the media. And you knew their agenda. There were two sides of comedy, for goodness sakes. But what's happened is the choice isn't anymore about maybe your bias of liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, whatever it might be. The choice now is, are you going to choose to monetize and get people addicted to anger and hate so you can keep having more influence and more power, or are you just gonna do it the same old way and maybe hold on to your core values? And so what's interesting now, okay, so the choice wasn't Democrat, Republican, liberal, conservative. It's whether or not you're going to sell your soul to Vegas-style addictions or what ought to be right for people, whatever the topic was. And so now you're seeing co-authored, okay, divergent views, philosophies. They're co-authoring articles say, that are titled stuff like Death of Science in the Modern Day and the End of Journalism. And they're written by both sides. You play along with the addictive methods or you kind of get kicked out and forgotten. That's how things work now. That's how we got to where we are, where we are today. This is a summary of what it means to be conformed to this world. This world is its division through the addictive nature of the emotions of hate and fear by the misuse of words and the violations of logic. That's where we are. It's in many respects, there's nothing new to this. What is new is the addictive nature to it, and it's brought to us on our phones. We can't get away from it. It's an addiction, and it comes in the phone. Let me show you how far back, like when C.S. Lewis wrote The Hideous Strength in 1946. He's tutoring his person in charge of the press, and he's going to be in charge of propaganda. And he says this. He goes, look, it's really important about the words that you choose to use so as not to be alarming. For example, you can say, don't say experiment, say experimental. You, you don't write in the newspaper that you're going to experiment on prisoners. Say that you're going to be running an experimental program of rehabilitation and that people will love it. And if you know that's true, watch what we do with education. He says, you can't experiment, he says, you can't uh, experiment on people's little children, but offer those dear little kitties a free education with an experimental school attached to our institute, and it's all correct. 
And so the, the person in charge of he's being mentored here, he says, yeah, but what about the high intellectual people? They're never going to be gullible. Here's a quote. It's a long quote. Forgive me. He says, why is this about intellectuals? He goes, why, you fool? It's the educated reader that is the gullible one. All of our difficulty comes with all the others. When did you ever meet a workman who believes in the newspapers? It, they take for granted that they're all propaganda, and they just skip the major articles. This person buys the paper to find out what the football results are or the couple paragraphs about the girl that fell out of the window. That's all. He's our problem. That's the person we need to recondition. The educated public, the PhD people, those people with the high, that read highbrow weeklies, they don't need reconditioning. They're all right right now already. They'll believe anything. That sound familiar from 1946? Conform to this world, divided through anger and fear. That's what it means. It means us and then. It goes, like, here's how hideous strength ends in some respects, this section. It is absolutely essential to keep a fierce left and fierce right both on their toes, that's hating each other, and each terrified, fearing each other. That's how we get things done. Keep them divided. It is the nature of a man, it is the nature of a woman to need more followers, whether it's for power or just to be liked. Look at this. It goes back to the days gone by with kings. You look at this cartoon where the entire village has come to take over the kingdom. They're tired of this guy. And if you look closely, you'll see about half of the people out there have pitchforks and the other half, they have torches. They have one thing in common. They want to end this king's reign. And his advisor says, oh, you don't need to fight him. You just need to convince the pitchfork people that the torch people want to take away their pitchforks. <laughs> Sound familiar? It hurts, though, too. You laugh and then you realize you're being laughed at because our minds are soft and faded. We're just lazy now. Hate and fear is our candy and, and anger and anxiety. It tastes so sweet. So give them what they want. Hey, just keep giving them what they want. Let's take a pause for a minute. Let's pivot this whole thing around and see Let's talk about, like, how are you feeling? What have you, like, what are you thinking? What have you been, like, doing for the last two to three years that would reflect any kinds of symptoms of seething anger or destabilizing fear? Because for at least 10 years, it's the water we drink, it's in the air that we breathe. It's anger and fear, same old thing, but now in an addiction means of communicating to us on our very phones. Let me put it this way. We have all been fighting an unfair war on five fronts for 10 years at least. How's that for battle fatigue? And so, you know, you got to ask, have you started any fires in the last two years because of anger, because of fear? Are you more calm now than you were five years ago? Or are you more anxious? When you go to bed at night, what's the primary emotion that you go to sleep to? Because I'll bet, in other words, if this was like a biological thing, like, I don't know, COVID, I'd say, do you have the symptoms of being part of this world? Do not be conformed to this world. 
Do you have these symptoms of anger and fear? I bet we do. And that's why I just want to reboot. I just want to start over. Like, let's, like, let, let's get this right. It's been a frog in boiling water and no more. Now we know different. What do we do? What do we do? Okay. How do we get out of here? That's where we are. How do we get out of here? That's what the rest of this time is. I'll try to hurry. But the first thing we do is restoration of words. And this part of our homework here, restoration of words. Let's use, I mean, when Confucius saw that his country had fallen apart and he wanted to make a revival come first, the first thing he did was did this restoration of words. That was, that was his phrase. That's how he changed the culture. And James talks about the power of words, the power of tweets, the power of posts, the power of the tongue. Listen to what he says. Indeed, we all make mistakes, but if any person could control their tongue, that person would be perfect. Because if you can control your tongue, you can control everything else. He says, look at a large horse. Look at the size of this large horse. And yet a small, a small little bit, right, inside its mouth can direct that. He says, the tongue's like that. He says, look, look at a huge ship. It's got this tiny little rudder with gothic scales. And yet it obeys even in strong winds and storms. A tongue's like that. It's like the power of that rudder. And then he says this, in the same way a tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. It's a, it, it, but a tiny spark can set an entire forest on fire. Verse 6 says, this is chapter 3 of James, he says, and among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. And so is the text. So is the post. It is a whole world of wickedness corrupting the entire body. It can set a whole life on fire, and it sets fire to hell itself. It is set on fire by hell itself. Can I tell you that a lot of this is from hell itself? It's a restoration of words. Another one that we need to do is take responsibility. Take responsibility. I, I don't know what that means to you, like whatever, you know, whatever it is to be at peace with all men. You do whatever it takes to be at peace with all men. James chapter 1, he says, my dear friends, my fr brothers and sisters, take note of this that everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger <laughs> because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires, never does. And so what taking responsibility could be something as simple as, you know, oops, it could be simple. Oops, two years ago in this one conversation, you might've forgotten it, but I went straight to calling you a name and I need you to forgive me. If it's something that's like on the internet and you posted something, hey, this will get you followers. Like say, hey, I'm going to repost this. Here's where I was wrong and here's what would make it right. And just say, I was sinful. That'll get you a lot of clicks. That word is not used much. Just kidding about that. <laughs> as much as it's up to you. How do we get out of this take response? How do we get out of this culture? How do we not be conformed to this world? We're not going to hide, okay? We're not going to imitate the culture. We're going to engage the culture, and we're going to use it using words appropriately and using logic appropriately and being kind. But look what the passage says. Be not conformed to this world. The rest of our time together in this series is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, which is good and acceptable 
and perfect. Last couple things I want us to do, okay, to make this happen, to get back to where we ought to be, okay? Besides these four parts of homework, I want us to look at uh, a book called Confronting Christianity. Okay? There's a book on sale, I hope, on January 2nd in the lobby. We, I, we rush ordered by the book Confronting Christianity. It's a beautiful book written by a wonderful woman. And we're going to actually have her come and visit church on, at the end of the series. She's going to finish it up. And then the last application here is come and see. Come and see. Come and listen. I would suggest you even join a small group and cover the material we're going to be going over in our learning how to be, tra- how to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Get in a small group, covering the material. Let's see what happens over the next couple months or so. Guys, I, like I started, I think we all just need to inhale and exhale and just reboot. The difference between last year and this year maybe is today's time together. Now you know what happened. And it says in, in the Greek, do not be conformed to this world. The word conformed, be conformed is a passive verb. In other words, it just kind of happens to you. Now we know this is what happened to us. This is how we got divided. Violation of words, the violation of logic in a medium that was addictive. And we became like soft and lazy in our minds. And we just kept fueling a fire that somebody else started so they could make money off of the division of our homes and our churches. Let's start over. Let's start over. Let's get this. We know better now. And we know our way out. We know where we are and we know our way out. Would you join me in prayer? Wow, it's, it's been an unsettling year, two years. Well, it's been a bad decade. Or without, it seems like without even knowing it, something's changed in the hearts and the minds of those who are Christ followers. Somehow they got more addicted to their agenda or their belief system or their, I don't know, their us and them instead of their following you first and foremost. The application of an ethic instead of the ethic that you bring us. Lord, I repent of that. Lord, I'd ask that you, your spirit would speak to ours about what exactly we need to do to take responsibility for the division that we've caused. What words need to be spoken, what notes need to be written, or maybe some post needs to be not taken down, but straightened out. And Lord, I'd ask that you would help us be a church that's like <laughs> this lighthouse on a hill and it says we have not sold our soul to the addictions that are be around us, that we are, <laughs> we, are, we, are, we are coming out of this addiction and we're living one day at a time and we're gonna respect words and we're gonna respect truth and logic and we're gonna be that lighthouse where people can come from different points of view and know that the truth will be spoken, to be taught, to be applied in a way that's life transforming and even that transformed life is a means. And the means is to glorify you the Father. Lord, thank you for sending your Son to allow your Spirit to indwell our souls, to give us the power over these addictions of anger and fear. I'd ask that you would help us live one day at a time. Let 2022 be that year of freedom and unity. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.